Hello, this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bell-West. And the uh, winter is drawing on here. Oh, it's a lovely life. day. I've been sitting in the garden all morning. Yeah, he's, he, he's past the point at which you can get any laundry driver hanging it out. <laughs> which is an important uh, important part, part of the advance of the year, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, and we're turning the heaters on, though we can't afford it. And uh, the nation is going through turmoil. Have you noticed any signs of turmoil, Roger? Mm, lots of people thinking, oh, well, if, if that's what's going on, I can get away with my little neighbour-annoying antics. You know, I, I will not bother to fix the silencer on my car because it makes a nice vroomy sound and I will drive it past very loudly at night, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, well, we all have our personal concerns. Anyway... This week, um, sorry. Anyway, this month we are planning to talk about big-scale evil, about evil empires and what to do with them. But first... I would like to thank Glenn Lewis for dropping some money in our tip jar. This encourages us to keep making the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. And uh, anyone else who would like to do this, uh, paypal.me slash rogerbw and mention that it's for IRTD so that I know which thing it's, uh, whether I should give Mike a share. (laughs) You should always give Mike a share. Yeah, it would be simpler from an accounting point of view. Nice people at the Bundle of Holding are pandering to our tastes this month, in as much as they, as part of their October horror festival, are putting forward both the core uh, GURPS books um, that they have already uh, featured earlier in the year, and the GURPS horror uh, bundle, which is now, I think we've told them once or twice that we like GURPS on this, this channel, Roger. Yeah, so in terms of declaring an interest, um, they're, they're not actually as freebies of this, but I at least, and I suspect you, have all these anyway. Yeah, we're, we, we're, we bought early, we bought often. And uh, I, I certainly work for Steve Jackson Games, um, writing and other things, so I'm not any sort of neutral party in that sense. I mean, I... I like this stuff, but on the other hand, if I say I hate it, maybe eventually they will find out and decide to give me less work. So there's a possibility of bias there. Roger is is is, is transparently honest and sea green incorruptible, just like Robespierre. And look what so, happened to him. Yeah. So the the the, the essentials offer has the two books of the basic set. Yeah. So that much you definitely need. You can't cannot do without it. Um, the, a, a template um, toolkit um, uh, about how, how to build a, a pre, pre-gender um, character frameworks. Which I uh, would say is jolly useful if that's what you want to do, but it is not a thing that a new GM needs. Not a new GM, no. But if you are going to create a, um, a world of your own, and especially if you're going to um, run it using uh, the, uh, the GURPS software, then um, I think that uh, it would be very useful indeed. Adaptations is by a friend of the podcast, uh, William Stoddard, 
and he's uh, he's talking about how to adapt already existing literary um, and by implication game uh, settings to uh, to the system. What you need to do. I think its biggest flaw is that for reasons related to licensing or lack thereof, these are all old and out of copyright stories and settings. And if what you know, the shape of stories has changed. Oh, I'm not sure about that. But and all right. If, if if you want to adapt a new thing, you are going to be a bit more at sea than you really should be. Um, I th- I think some of the general uh, advice about using the uh, using the framework of uh, of TV shows as uh, as the basis for planning campaigns, which uh, comes up in in other works, is very applicable mm. to GURPS. Yeah. There's also How to Be a GURPS GM. This is the one we like, isn't it? This is the one that I would absolutely recommend to any new GURPS GM. It it is an unfortunate truth, and I think it is generally accepted even by GURPS fans, speaking as a GURPS fan, that the 4th edition basic set is not a great way to learn GURPS because you have these several hundred pages of stuff, and the first thing you have to do when designing a campaign is decide which of that stuff you're not going to allow. Quite. Now, you can see uh, how it got there. I mean, the, the compendium volumes for GURPS 3rd edition collected uh, advantages and disadvantages and things from a lot of different individual world books so that they could be all in one place and readily referenced. And it's like that, but it's a complete pain if you don't already know GURPS. True. The best way, as with all, all, all game systems, is get somebody who already knows it to teach it to you. How to be a GURPS GM is, is a great exception to this. It, it, there is a lot of advice, both from the guy who wrote it, now sadly dead, and uh, Sean Punch, the GURPS line editor, on here. here is how you can make those choices. Uh, starting with the sort of campaign you want to run, you can then move t- to, OK, so I want to have these traits, but not those traits. Here is the stuff I should talk about with the players before we even start, and so on. Yeah. Okay, passing rapidly over the GM's screen, which is a lot of charts and tables put into one PDF. I'm not sure there's a lot of point in having it as a PDF. Um, If you're running things online, yes, there is. Um, Well, I guess. uh, The GURPS high-tech, ultra-tech, biotech and low-tech are collections of stuff. For various periods and various settings. Yeah, uh, I find ultra-tech and high-tech, because of the sort of games I run, pretty much indispensable. I have looked through low-tech and biotech, but I don't think I've ever actually used them. I've never used biotech. Low-tech speaks to my interests in running games that are set in uh, low-tech and fantasy settings um, for when I'm feeling uh, like ab- abiding by history. GURPS Mass Combat is uh, perhaps over-detailed, but if, if you're going to invo- involve your player characters in war, very useful uh, means of resolving how battles turn out and how their player characters um, either survive or don't in them. Yeah, it, it's technically very well done. I'm not sure it's... <laughs> I've used it once or twice. It's it's not. Do, does it have a lot to offer over simply narrating a plausible result? Is my question. Because uh, what, because what it generates is 
here is here is the situation and this side is probably going to win now let here are some missions for your pcs to go and do to change that yeah um that and it's uh it's a means of doing it of resolving whether the pcs succeed without um or, and how well they succeed without resorting to gm fiat totally Mm. But, I think my, my inclination would be to use it as a guide rather than to follow its results necessarily. Um, it, there, there's, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the flip a coin principle. The, the way to make a decision is to flip a coin, and if it comes down with, with one and you find yourself saying, oh, best of three, then you, know, <laughs> then you know what decision you wanted to make. True. All right, moving on to the actual topic of this, um, of the, the, of this month's uh, offer, which is the Material of GURPS, uh, of the GURPS horror genre. Yeah, oh, which is really t- several separate chunks. These were not designed particularly to work together. No. Um, the big, the, the two big um, bits here are 4th edition GURPS horror and uh, GURPS uh, zombies, uh, which are the, are, the, are the two big supplements. Well, big Horrors in the sense that they got hardback printing. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and long. Um, the ho- GURPS horror is a reworking of, uh, of what what uh, Ken Height wrote for 3rd uh, edition. And it contains a lot of um, not, not only material about the inner meaning, the quotes, real meaning of our, our various horror tropes, but also um, analysis of it's a work. It's, it approaches being a work of critical analysis of that particular part of the role-playing genre, and I think it's well worth reading for for any uh, GM, not, and not just those who are interested in in playing in horror. I particularly recommend Chapter Two, which is the one that breaks things down into you know, fear of the taint, fear of nature, fear of madness, fear of mutilation, and so on. Yeah, uh, that that I, I think is is the greatest bit of it, and it, it's practically system neutral. Um, yeah, it was originally something called some nightmares of mine, um, I, I believe, um, and that material was incorporated to third and now into fourth edition. Yeah, um, what what has been split out of horror, GURPS horror th- for third edition uh, and is now separately here is uh, the madness dossier. Yeah, which, which is which a game is a, of reality horror really yeah of it, of i what find happens. as in common with many things ken height does the ideas are great but it's a it leaves you completely at sea when it comes to actually coming up with what are you going to do this week <laughs> I, yeah. I have run it i had a good time running it but that there is that proviso okay as i was going on to say was um zombies which wasn't my cup of tea mostly because the idea of hordes of unst- unstoppable undead um, fails to thrill me somehow. I think I want my uh, my horror less absolute than the the modern zombie genre. But if you want to do anything with with any sort of Walking Dead, then this is the book for you. Uh, th- this is a good book because I have a special thanks to credit in it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was for the what happens when you dri- drive your car into a mob of zombies rules. Squish, squish, well, yeah, but how? But the thing is, how how many of them can you drive through before you stop? Yeah, which is which is fewer than many people think. 
Well, uh, the in stuff would get in the in the wheels, wouldn't it? In the works. Well, yeah, I'm, and mere, mere momentum is a consideration, uh, depending on how powerful the vehicle is. Uh, but in any case, uh, it's generally good for hordes, but specifically for unthinking hordes. They mm. don't necessarily have to be undead. And I I have not used a lot of it, uh, but I find it a jolly good thing to have available. Um, yeah. Going along with that is Zombies Day 1, which I think had originally been planned to be part of this, but it's already a 160-page book. Uh, and it, it's essentially several uh, zombie campaign examples. Hmm. We also have um, some uh, a collection of Creatures of the Night be- horror beasts. Yeah, which, which um, were not designed with any particular plan in mind to interact with anything else, because this is GURPS. So you know, some of them might be suitable for whatever horror game you plan to run, some of them might not. Uh, modular modular is, the, is the word. Um, a selection of... Uh, of of uh, from the Infinite World setting, alternate histories uh, with a th- with a theme of horror and um, uh, and uh, and and the unnatural, um, which, some of which will appeal to you, some of which will not. The uh, that, that's dossier, another Ken Height piece, incidentally. Yeah, and the, the Madness dossier, which we've mentioned, and uh, another almost. Um, as big uh, a beast as the um, as the as the as zombies and horror itself is monster hunters, the uh, uh, a setting a system for playing people who are going out and hunting down evil things of the night, um, are on behalf of some greater agency or cause or not. Uh, uh, the, or not. This is. Like GURPS Dungeon Fantasy, like GURPS Action, it is essentially a set of choices um, that cause a particular flavour of campaign to emerge. The where, where I would disagree with it to some extent is it starts off with very powerful characters with with quite a lot of supernatural oomph to them. Yeah. Or if not supernatural, at least inhumanly good. Uh, which is not really to my taste, but if I... If you wanted to tie it to a specific source, then there's the, uh, is it Monster Hunters, Inc. book series? Uh, I can't remember for certain. Uh, It's not an officially licensed version of that, but it is certainly clearly inspired by, you know, big guns, big magic against big greenly monsters. Yeah. um, What was the the third edition supplement, the one with the alien? On the cover, which also I think it's a descendant of that, and I can't remember what it was called. Um, uh, but uh, but it will. I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes. But I think it's a, dece- a descendant of that spiritually. When you set up our currently running um, a Monster Hunter game, you you gave us characters from Action, and that was more to your taste. Yes, I mean those are still. Preternaturally good characters, but they're preternaturally good on a human level, as opposed to I am a witch or I am a construct that has escaped from its masters and now fights for good or stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I have run Monster Hunters. Uh, I ran a campaign based loosely in Florida, brackets, mm. cinematic Florida, you know, Cole Hyacinth, Florida. 
every Florida man story is true. <laughs> and has a monster behind it. I, the, the, the foundational story for this was uh, a thing I came across of a guy who had broken into somebody's house and when arrested said it was to get away from the dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, instant adventure. I, I I see. Yes, yes. Well, somebody has to deal with this sort of event. Um, what was I going to say? Something profound. I think we can say on the whole that this is something we like. If you are um, a, a GURPS GM already, then uh, by all means, you, there may well be stuff in the horror offer that you can that you will don't have and will find useful. And if you're not yet a GURPS GM, why not? Um, the essentials are are definitely where you need to start, and the horror will give you uh, something to uh, add to the mix and to get your teeth into. The other thing to consider is that um, th- this is quite a bit cheaper than normal retail, therefore yeah, you know, fairly good deal on that. Uh, these are both running until the 7th of November. Right, and that gives you a whole week after this drops uh, to take advantage of our advice. Now, on to the next thing. Planning on, on, it's probably too strong a term, but contemplating running a continuation of a game which I may have mentioned um, online, my Lictors game, set in the world of GURPS, we're there again, uh, GURPS Bainstorm. Um, And I wanted to uh, bounce some ideas off Roger and off our uh, uh, listenership too, uh, to see if I can make myself um, find myself some more ideas beyond the first, because this is going to be something that runs in the background of another campaign, and which becomes by stealth the major theme of it is is my current plan. Mm-hmm. To tell you about the background, uh, Bainstorm features an evil empire. Um, a big, corrupt um, me- mesh of Roman and uh, medieval culture, which is the big dominant power on the continent where the, uh, where the setting um, is set, and is um, a home for uh, not only corruption and evil and oppressive lords um, and down- downtrodden serfs and slaves, um, but uh, but more flamboyant, um, corrupt evil. Let me put it this way. About 15 years before my first campaign started, uh, the campaign on which this is based started, uh, the Emperor was replaced by a shape-shifting demon, and it was 15 years before anybody noticed. I'm setting my... my, my I set my first campaign in the... Um, aftermath of the demon having been um, slaughtered by another group of player characters from one of my campaigns but that's just the way things happen uh, and in which it, the... it is very clearly set up as a thing that player characters can potentially do yeah 
Um, and in the uh, in the aftermath of that, uh, the new emperor, who is very keen to um, disassociate himself from his father, who was so spectacularly evil that nobody noticed when he was replaced by a demon. And I feel get... this should be a relatively easy job for the new emperor, but... <laughs> yeah, but uh, making it stick in the most corrupt empire on, on the planet is going to be a little difficult. So he's been sending out teams of magistrates to uh, deal with all the law cases that have been ignored um, by the previous administration and trying to get some measure of justice and righteousness into the system, which is uh, theoretically all very well. At the end of my fir first campaign, which was quite successful, um, we ran into the Institute of Slavery. Institution? Institution of Slavery. And the fact that there was no real means of freeing a slave in it. Or rather there was, but it required the will of the emperor to, for it to take place. You had to send in a petition, pay a certain amount of processing fees, let's say that processing fees are not bribery, uh, in order to get uh, a named slave freed. It was not a routine thing as it was in the Roman Empire. And one of my player characters at the end of the, this campaign put forward a, to, her, to his superior um, the idea that maybe if they reformed this so it became a regular thing, taken care of at a local level, it might not only make life better for, um, for the downtrodden slaves, but actually bring in some money. And from this small seed, which um, given that it's going to be passed on to the emperor, and given he's struggling hard to make a good name for himself, he's liable to go for, I want from that small seed, I want to start a avalanche of events that will lead to the emperor being forced to abolish slavery and hopefully a small scale civil war, which the good guys will win. <laughs> Maybe if I'm feeling kindly. So what happens when a small change is proposed in an oppressive, um, in an oppressive institution? And how do the people on whose, who have based their fortunes on this react? This is a generic question, and I suppose I'm going to expand it to say, how do you handle big social changes, or the potential for big social changes, in cultures that, have been, that, are, that are at a primitive level, and I strongly suspect in the case of Earth, have been artificially frozen? at a primitive level. What happens when long-term evil is challenged? Well, I think step one is you've got an awful lot of people, up to a first approximation, everybody in the Empire, who are used to things the way they are. Yeah. And, you know, they, they've just had a new Emperor and, and learned terrible things about the old Emperor. Change is scary. In the medieval mindset, change is even more scary because it's relatively uncommon. Yeah, and uh, and 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 there is the assumption that the established order. This isn't just with the medievals; it, it happens everywhere. The assumption that the established order 
is a eternally fixed and from uh, from uh, from uh, time immemorial, and b threatened by the slightest change. There may well be many respects in which the the current system is not ideal, but when you start changing things, you don't know where you're going to end up. Yeah, so there will be from the start people who um, who are opposed to any change. I think. I mean, it, it's fairly obvious that the slave owners are not going to be happy about this. They are they are losing something into which they have sunk value. Are you going to? Are you planning to pay them? For the slaves that they no longer have. No, no. Hang on. This is not a a, a um, this is not um, a reform which uh, uh, which confiscates slaves. Those slaves could get confiscated as property whenever some uh, somebody is accused of crime or and attainted for treason or th- small things like that. Actually, mental note to myself. What to do with the uh, uh, with any slaves owned by the Templars who are currently in rebellion against the throne? Yes, that could actually cause. All right, mental note one: that could actually cause the release of a large number of slaves. No, this is man- this is just making manumission more pro- possible, and it's well, it that's springs- not abolishing slavery. I mean, let's get started. Not yet. No, I no, I want to go from the first. Um, uh, from the first move, which is let's make manumission a routine thing and more possible. This is actually something that's been put forward uh, at first by a slaver who wanted to be able to actually reward his slaves for winning the uh, the the local emperor's tourney, uh, local emperor's day, a birthday um, coliseum fight. Um, and that that was what was promised, and that was what was not happening due to some corruption up the line. So this is what that reform is is based on. But I think it will start a reaction amongst the uh, amongst the slaveholding and gener- generically upper classes, which says no, no, you cannot possibly meddle with the um, social order like that and i think the reaction to that from the emperor is to get stubborn now yeah so all right you know slave x wants to be freed yeah does somebody have to pay that manumission fee somebody does yes is this something a slave can expect to to do for themselves in 10 years or 20 years of work is there is there a you know do they get paid anything that they could potentially save? Probably not. They're slaves. That's kind of the point. But there is no... Though Roman-style slaves often were paid, but that's a separate thing. Roman-style slaves were allowed to have... Uh, were allowed to, to, to make money and, uh, and keep some of it. And, uh, and, the, Roman, um, and the Roman precedent is, is very strong. The... the the empire was founded on the on legends of Rome coming from Earth, so we can. I've, I've got two alternatives. I've got three alternatives. Either the Roman precedent is followed, or the Roman precedent is not, and it's something more like the chattel slavery of the of the South. Or actually, it's unclear, and in some places the uh, one one is true, and some places the other. And I think the third. The third precedence um, is a is a good idea. The third possibility is a good idea because then um, you can have all the fun of the emperor trying to impose 
a uniform set of laws on the land, and that can cause more trouble. Another thing is slavery. Some is is slavery heritable? What happens to the child of a slave? Yes, yes, definitely. Okay. Uh, there are there are slaves by birth. There are slaves by by uh, indebtedness. Some of which have chosen to go into slavery in order to pay off their fa- families' debts. And there are slaves by conquest. Oh, and there are slaves by criminality. Uh, people are condemned to slavery for um, often the most trivial um, of, uh, of offences. So I can't remember the ethnicities of uh, that world, but generally speaking, you can't look at somebody and immediately think with a fair chance of success, well, obviously he's a slave. Uh, yeah. Assuming there, he's there, not wearing the, the appropriate dress. There are arguments to, there are arguments to say... Uh, that, that all slaves should be wearing um, uh, mark, a mark or a collar or something. And there is the old Roman... Well, I mean, it's it's you. I expect there to be sumptuary laws. Uh, yeah, quite. Um, thank you, I think. Um, the the, uh, I, 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 th- I think, uh, on the whole, it makes life easier. If it is an obviously oppressive si- uh, system... And you can slip away the the marks or the brand, hide the brands or get rid of the collar. But unless you have the paperwork to show you've been manumitted, you're still vulnerable. At which point, let's assume that the emperor gets away with his initial changes and there's been a certain amount of grumbling. Um, um, As I say, uh, half of the church, well, maybe a third of the church, in the, in the form of the Templar Order, are currently in rebellion against him. Um, are they going to... They've already dabbled in causing slave revolts, purely for their own uh, cunning plans. Are they likely to intervene at this point, and on whose side? Well, I mean, let, let's use a, a mildly Marxist consideration here, Go which, which I think has some, has some validity, that traditional capitalism... Uh, lets the bosses survive by pitting the poor against each other. You know, your enemy is not the factory owner. Your enemy is those guys, who who are, yeah. and, and they are being told that their enemy is you. So you've you've got a bunch of people who, on the one hand, are not getting their board and lodging paid anymore, and mm. and and who are looking. I mean, I assume you don't have a universal welfare system in something that's primitive. Very um, silly. So they they are looking for places to live, places to eat. Uh, that that is going to cause uh, a certain amount of uh, dwelling price inflation, possibly yeah. possibly a building boom. Um, do you have anything approximating a democracy at any level? Because those are a whole bunch of new people. It, it, it is, this is this is the evil empire. Um, that yeah, but even evil empires sometimes do. E- even at the smallest level, you've got a bunch of people who who can potentially be made into a mob. I, I would who, say who, that who weren't before because they were afraid of getting killed for being a revolting slave. Hang on, I think you're jumping a stage. There, there would be a stage of slaves start to be freed, and if I use the slaves that the if the emperor reacts to the continuing hostility of the Templars by freeing all of their slaves, um, then you've got 
then you've got some people who are have no connection to any of the families or uh, guilds or what have you, which actually have the money, and um, and there's suddenly a swelling of the of the urban mobs in size and split into two, with the um, uh, with the um, uh, with the uh, with the already established urban poor uh, bitterly resenting the fact there are more people around who have to. Um, are crowded into their space, and the pro-slavery fla- factions will be actively encouraging that resentment. Yes, and um, and, re- and and I don't think they would recruit. Yeah, they might. There, there might be uh, the formation of mob factions, uh, which are going to start killing slaves, which is going to bring a reaction from the emperor. Um. Well, how, how, I... how long does that take? Because probably the slaves will not be expecting anybody to be looking out for them. They are going to be yeah. defending themselves, and that is going to lead to killing in the other direction, almost certainly, because it always does. I believe that some of the anti-slavery people have been um, corrupted by influences from Earth and may actually think in Marxist or terms, or at least in Enlightenment um, equal rights of all men terms, um, and that may get uh, politically serious. Look, if the emperor chooses to go for um, chooses to 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 go for a radical solution, and chooses to start abolishing slavery en masse, which, if it causes enough tr- uh, trouble, could happen, then. Um, I, I can only see one possible ally for him, which is the other half, or the other two-thirds of the church. The Hospitallers hate the Templars, and they are the other major military arm of the church. The Well, historically, um, major religions have been f- founded on the basis of our holy book says slavery is bad, so we're going to invent a whole new way of reading our holy book in order to justify slavery. Yeah, this could lead to... I, uh, in the, in the, in the um, source text in Gert's Bainstorm, the church um, in the empire is regarded as um, corrupt as all get-out, dominated by the nobility, and, uh, and luxuriating in its privileges and sins. I, Which is presumably going to include a certain amount of slave ownership simply because it's, it's a thing that you do if you're that rich. Yeah, but I don't, I don't want to depict them as all, of one, um, as all of one kidney. The hospitalers are severe and, uh, when they aren't killing people, extremely charitable. Um, I think they would be happy to end their slave holdings. Um, and that would leave, leave us with the church split neatly in two between the, the pro-slavery and the, uh, and the anti-slavery factions. I don't see very many factions which um, are morally opposed to, uh, to slavery in the rest of the society. I'm not sure the good guys win in the... Uh, I think this heads directly towards civil war, and I'm not sure the good guys win. 
I would like the good guys to win. I'm that sort of person. There is certainly going to be a lot of economic turbulence because on the one hand, presumably people are not just using slaves for working on their farms. They, they, they have some degree have of he... hiring out a slave to do something for somebody else. They're probably... Yeah, a, a, there probably... A, a builder, a builder yeah. whatever. Well, the... Yeah, uh... my, I, you, you, you contract my building firm to put up a building and I use my slave labour to do that for you. Yeah, I can't do that anymore. I have to hire people. Yeah, that because my costs are not actually going to go up because slavery is monstrously inefficient. But in the short term, there is going to be disruption and costs are going to be all over the place, and that applies to basically everything that has a substantial interaction with slaveholding, which I think is most of the imperial economy. They may well be too busy starving to have a civil war. Um. This is getting to look extremely grim. Uh, may, it may be just be your di- disposition or your training in economics. Dismal scientist. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I want a way for this to turn out well, and I'm not quite sure what it is. Uh, well, cons- okay, that that gets you in economic crash. Do you have somebody in this setting who is aware of the concept of economics? You have leakage from Earth. It should be a possibility. This is true. Okay, so one way to lose that is forget the idea of making an imperial profit off it. They, um, by the t- by the time it reaches the sta- stage of the emperor getting really stubborn, then it's perfectly it's going to be perfectly clear that uh, any any economic gain from uh, uh, from making slavery more regular it w- was always an illusion. Fine. So the emperor buys slaves. The emperor buys all the slaves at a fair price. That's fair when there is an imperial legion standing outside going, ahem, we think you ought to sign this, sir. Yes, um, for the good of the empire. Uh, it's uh, Yes, yeah, that, I can see that happening. Of course, the resistance will come because... Owning slaves is not only about your economic advantage. It's about the power and status it gives you and the ability and the ability to abuse it mm-hmm. that it gives you. Um, and it also, if we look at the precedent of uh, the American uh, South, it also gives even, even those free men who could possibly afford to own slaves a certain amount of boosted status because, you know, at least they're not slaves. I would be very wary about leaning too hard on the American South because as historical instances of slavery go, it is an extremely unusual one. Alright, what's more normal, especially in the modern age? Um, What was Brazil like, for, for example? I don't have sufficient data on that. Um... I mean, if we're talking people who are borrowing the Roman model and other things, then it would be much more likely to be um, the the captive and the debt thing, but not necessarily the offspring. Um, Hmm. I've got to make it at least as horrible as it is in the source material. (laughs) Yeah, well, we don't know what was influencing the source material. That's the other other consideration. I'm not going to try and read Steve Jackson's mind. Or even Phil Masters, though, if he wants to contribute to the discussion, I would be fascinated. <laughs> um, 
the the key thing I think, and you certainly get this in the Roman model, is that you don't have the distinction between slaves and people. They are a rung of society, but they are still part of society, not a whole separate thing that isn't mm. really people. Yeah, it's later philosophy that um, corrupts the, uh, the, the, the that that's that setting the need to justify doing things you wouldn't do to people by reclassifying those mm-hmm. who. Um, uh, it, it also has a, an intellectual. I've been reading something about about the history of why people uh, trust experts. And uh, the classification of those who don't indulge, uh, engage in deep philosophical thinking as not entirely human, which I sometimes think is something that's lived down to the current age. But that aside, uh, hmm. I don't know. I'm going to have to think about this seriously and about where it leaves the free but surf bound. Um, uh, members of the uh, of uh, citizens of the empire because to um, a modern eye a serf isn't that much more than a slave but do they think they are they think they are they think they have and to a certain extent they are right in law at least um they have they have rights and rights of appeal the slave just absolutely does not have. So, as a step one, can you can you make the slaves into serfs bound to their former masters? It could well, be done. Because that's certainly going to be less of a dislocation. Yeah. Uh, make it... Uh, make it, it... It could be proposed. I'm not sure that it would work because of the... of the... of the... Uh, because of the resentment that, that it would cause. I think if you're going to pull a trick like that, you couldn't do it to the whole empire at once. You'd have to... Um, you'd have to do it um, gradually and, uh, and in, in places and prove that it worked in one place. And that's another possible use for the slaves that the Templars held. Um, make, them, make them a, a step up into serfs bound to a particular law. If you free the slaves but don't free the serfs, then the, then the serfs are going to say, well, what, what the hell about us? Why did you step these guys a step above us? And then you get a serf revolt, which is not ideal. <sighs> I don't think, uh, technically, they're not being stepped above, above, it, above them, but on the other hand... Well, you're, you're talking about freeing the slaves. What legal rights well, do they I'm, have? I'm ta- well, I'm, ta- I'm talking about, you were talking about making them serfs. Um, and I, I said yeah, I'm, I'm saying if you don't, if you're not doing that, if, if you're just saying, right, we are going to free all the slaves, make them freed men, then they are now a step above the serf legally because they have yeah. a right of residence. And that's really going to annoy the serfs. And you can't yeah, ignore them. I, did, I didn't know you had serfs. <laughs> which you could, I think, um, uh, depict as being part of a cunning plan on the emperor's uh, part or being an utter blunder that the Emperor uh, fell into and had to make the best of. Uh, also, presumably you still have prisons. Do you have prison labour? I'm not sure. Do you, do you maintain some sort of prison labour as a partial replacement? 
yeah, be careful of this because that's a, that's the thing you end up with that, in the that, states that is, where people that, where the prisons are lobbying for tougher sentences because they make profit off them. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> there's been at least one case of actual corruption of pay, of paying judges to pass uh, heavier sentences um, uh, in, by the uh, by the prison uh, companies. They, I don't. Th- I think that is a later formation. I think in the medieval. Uh, people may be put into prison, but not for long. And usually, they leave there to an unfortunate fate, whether it's enslavement or death. Yeah. Um, I don't. Th- I don't think long-term imprisonment is going to be something that appeals to um, a medieval ruler. The uh, another thing that would be an alternative in a more normal world, though not in Bainstorm, uh, would be mechanisation. Yeah, but Bainstorm has this technological uh, ban, which... Um, it's one of the big reasons I have real difficulty running anything there that interacts with it in a big way, as opposed to a generic fantasy setting. But, yeah, You find it unrealistic? Or I find what? it completely unrealistic. Where do they get all the power from? And if they have all this power, why have they not taken over? Uh, well, my answer is because they're dragons and they're on the other continent. <laughs> Yeah, um, it, it, uh, that, uh, that, that is something I will have to consider, whether this is a change which uh, would be tolerated by the mysterious powers uh, who are behind the technology ban, and uh, at what point they would stick their, their, their hidden claw firmly on, on the levers and, uh, and say no. I mean, is it a technology ban or is it an Enlightenment thinking ban? It's a technology ban in my... All right, this is in my brainstorm and not in anybody else's. But the ancient wizard's war, which has left its scars on um, on the planet, um, was in my setting, fought between the dragons and a, an alien race. And the dragons came from elsewhere, from space. And they are well aware of the signs of writing technology and what it can do to to a fellow's wings if you point an air surface to air missile at it, and they decided they're having none of that, not any of that, not know how. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they are they are paying enough attention to the humans to understand the interrelatedness of um, political thinking and tele- technological development. I'm not sure if us humans understand it terribly well either, but um, that would be an issue for my particular campaign. What do the secret masters want and what will they put up with? And uh, depending on the power of the secret masters, which I think is going to be a per-campaign decision, uh, that, that may well overrule anything else mm. if they really can just knock off the key people in the right place at the right time. I'm fairly sure, certain they can. I'm fairly certain that they have um, a bunch of nervous human acolytes who are trying to ensure that um, uh, nothing goes out that might alarm the masters. In all this, I'm planning to have my um, my player characters acting as um, as um, agents for the magistracy again, and these issues are only going to come up in the background until some sort of final climax of the campaign. Mm-hmm happens which forces them into the front of um, of social change at which point the emperor 
we'll turn to the poor uh, magistrate's minion who suggested the initial change and say, look, you see what I've got, you've got me into? <laughs> Which is utterly unfair. I'm looking forward to it. It, it is a traditional privilege of, of, of empire. True. Is there something generic we can say about making big social changes in a fantastical or other setting? Well, the the approach I would take um, in a, in a generic sense is to work out who the factions are who will care about this. Yeah. Um, and potentially subdivide them, of course. But you know, obvious in this case, obviously slave owners, but also non-slave owning people who interact with that side of thing, you know, people who yeah. need buildings put up, people who need aqueducts maintained. People need a slave tutor for their, uh, for the young son. Uh, people who want to buy a slave concubine. And for that yeah. matter, the slaves themselves, many of whom are potentially going to be quite happy to be free, but you are asking them to exchange a guaranteed uh, bed and meals in return for not no choice of work uh, for the freedom to starve. Yeah. Um, and many of them will potentially have no experience of looking for work, negotiating pay, whatever else somebody at the bottom of society does. Some of them are going to end up being criminals. Uh, how do the existing criminals feel about that? Yeah. And so on. Yeah, the uh, this isn't so bad if it happens piecemeal, but it but the the failure to manage a sudden shit dumping of a large number of formerly enslaved people onto the free market is what is the major failing of uh, of American re- reconstruction. Um, I don't want to be too optimistic or too pessimistic about the possibilities of change, even sudden change happening i want the i want the new emperor to be remembered as the reformer as the great reformer even um but i don't want to put my thumb too heavily on the scales to make it uh, and and my basic question to myself is always going to be what interesting stories can i get out of this one factor i might well be tempted to add uh is the great slave leader Somebody who who has a natural talent for leadership, which was simply never noticed because he was a slave, and so no, nobody cared. Spartacus, Spartacus. Well, he, he to an extent. Um, who else? Would, uh, but the point is, else? if if he is if he ends up on the right side, then that can be a factor working for the emperor and the the good the relatively good guys which the other side simply don't have access to. They can't bribe him to change sides because he knows what it was like. He knows what he's fighting against. I'm not sure how... What, whether whether that's a, a demagogue or a military organiser or something else. I mean, that's up to you in the setting. I'm, I, I'm thinking of Epictetus, who was one of these great Stoic philosophers who was a slave, but that's not the sort of talent you were thinking of. And one other sort of talent I really must think about is what happens to um, those with magical talent who are enslaved? Well, g- given that they were enslaved, there is some way of stopping them manifesting it, whether whether that is by not teaching them or something else. I think I would probably end up saying that um, any any wizard who is um, who is going to be... Uh, uh, he's, got, he's committed a serious enough crime 
to be enslaved is going to be taken care of by the mages' guilds and probably used as um, not reactive shielding um, as uh, as alchemical experimental materials. But somebody who had the talent but was never fully trained might well be uh, have his talent turned off, and if that fails, then maybe you've got one of your potential um, powerful slave uh, leaders who can start picking up and learning, or maybe even using one of the unusual magical talents, which aren't often featured in Bainstorm. As I understand it, with the standard assumption of GURPS magic, you cannot actually detect majory in someone who is not using it. I think you... uh, I've always understood that you can, using an aura spell... uh, Pick up whether somebody has the talent. There mm-hmm. has to be a there has to be a means for the uh, for the uh, for the mage guilds to know who to take as an apprentice. I, I've read suggestions that it's done by you know, putting out five stones, one of which has a, has a minor and invisible spell cast on it, and, t- and telling the local village kids which stone is different. Yes, so, so that, that they can use their natural majory. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, that that's the thing to consider yeah. for, for the specific setting. But it seems to me that something that is potentially an interesting source of stories is I have been born potentially a powerful mage, but I don't know about it because, as a slave, nobody has let me get anywhere near that sort of thing. Which would sort of argue that maybe may the, uh, the, the, the potential mage is initiated or taught or somehow gets their power turned on um, strongly. Um, I have had one character who was um, uh, uh, an improvisational mage who could um, who could uh, uh, who could cast spells just by thinking what he needed to do. Mm-hmm. It was um, uh, what's it called? Wild card, wild talent. What? Uh, yeah, is is that the one that tends to blow up the world if you use it long enough? No, no, that's uh, that's threshold magic, which is also fun. <laughs> um, yeah, to uh, but but yes, uh, the the uh, a, a a unnoticed uh, magician amongst the slaves could actually trigger this quite early on, and maybe maybe it would give the emperor sufficient. Um, uh, sufficient leverage if he can be persuaded to ally with the with the reforming emperor. I do think that this is not going to stop when the civil war is won. You because to get this moving in the direction it has at the speed it has been, you've got a whole lot of stuff about the essential dignity of human beings that is yeah. not going to be compatible in the long term with serfdom. So that's it's going true. to change. You're going to need something like an agricultural revolution, or you're going to have starvation because people just, once they realise they don't have to work on the farm and you can't, you, you can't make them. I think I think you're underestimating the appeal of working on the farm mm. uh, compared with the appeal of moving to a large, smelly city where you don't know anybody and you don't have any money. And you don't have any resources. No, I, I will bring to your attention the history of London. 
True, and true. The, the population a, expanded a... in spite of the number of people dying of starvation and completely avoidable disease every day. I, I, will, I will draw your attention to the Enclosure Acts. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, there is already magic that can augment, um, that can augment food growing. Yeah, you, you can't run off created food except in a very small group, but you uh, can there, do that there are there are field blessings and things of that sort. That, that was the sort of thing I was thinking more. And and friend friend of the show, Shimin Beg, has done some calculations on uh ritual castings of that, you know, how much of a village do you need uh to get the ritual casting going and how many fields can you bless with that population plus one caster. That kind of yeah. thing. So that that might well be worth considering. Well, all right. Th- this brings up a lot. I the the way that you get an extreme revolution, which isn't something that I particularly want, would be to bring along uh, would be something like the French Revolution, an economic collapse, followed by resentment at centuries of um, of oppression. Well, frankly, I, I, I think you have that. If if you're yeah. not, if you're not very careful, the economic collapse is quite likely. Yeah, you may have that, but but thankfully you don't have anything like democracy in the empire. <laughs> nor nor did the, they pre-French Revolution really. Well, yeah, there there was enough. There, and, there was uh, a show of democracy which everybody knew was a fake. That, that there is no uh, yeah, but there were also um, examples of. Democracy for certain values of democracy working in nearby countries, and mm. that was deadly too. Yeah, all right. Fair. Thank you for inspiration. I think I will go. I will when I, I listen to this again. I'll write down uh, copious notes. Please, those of you who are um, uh, who know the setting better than me, might make suggestions. Please, pausing only uh, to encourage my uh, players who may have been listening to ignore that whole segment. We'll wrap for now and prepare to go home. That was Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. And if you wish to write to us um, uh, concerning your experiences of overthrowing evil empires, or perhaps um, preventing the overthrow of evil empires, some of you... Ste- I, either of these is easier if you are the emperor. Uh, noted, yes. Um, though you have to be a really clever emperor. Um Anyway, if you want to write to us, you can reach us by... Uh, leave a message on the website or email podcast at tekeli.ly. And we'll be back, we'll back again um, deeper and deeper into the winter next time. Mm-hmm.